Hello and welcome to Off The Shelf Reviews. I would love to be the filling in a Gina Davis, Susan Sarandon sandwich. And I'm Gary. And today we're going to review and discuss Thelma and Louise, which released in 1991. Written by Callie Kahuri and directed by Ridley Scott. Ian, why don't you give us the synopsis? Well, the story follows Thelma and Louise, played by Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon. They are heading off for a fishing weekend for just girls. But along the way, they're going to end up in a bunch of situations that will generally get worse and worse until the two of them are faced with a decision to deal with all of the consequences. So apparently the script for this was written somewhere in the very late 70s, like 1979 wow. into the early 80s, and then kind of floated around for quite some time. Apparently Hollywood looked at the script, and uh, apparently, according to Ridley Scott, the script uh, was being referred to two bitches in a car. And uh, no one really wanted to make this movie, and it floated around for a while. Ridley Scott eventually purchased the script because he thought that this was a really great project, mm. and... He shopped it around to all the other directors that he thought would be interested in making this because he didn't really want to make it himself. Okay. And every other director that he approached turned it down until uh, Michelle Pfeiffer turned to Ridley Scott and went, why don't you just direct it? Mm. And so he did. <laughs> and so I just, I just think it's weird that this was almost a film that just never got made considering how sort of highly uh, praised and well-received it was when it released. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that it almost never was. Now, when Callie Kahori wrote the script, uh, when it wasn't being picked up, she was actually intending on just making the film herself. She wrote it, she might as well direct it. Yeah. And she was going to try to make this as a sort of super low-budget, docu-style road trip film. But then, of course, once Ridley had uh, purchased the script from her, well, at least uh, Ridley said he still had a collaborative relationship with her yeah, and yeah. with the all of the actors, actresses and crew that worked on the film to make it a collaborative process throughout. And uh, yeah, I just think uh, from the first time I saw this film uh, until now, it's, it's remained one of those films that's just stayed, you know, in my heart. Yeah. I mean, this is like the second time I've seen it in my 40 odd years. Like when it first came out in, in 1991, obviously it just... It fucking blew box offices away. Everybody was talking about it, you know, like I think I remember my mum even, you know, like highlighting the movie saying, You gotta watch this to understand what women are talking about. And I was just like, Well, mum, I'm eight years old. <laughs> um But then a few years later it was just like, Okay, well I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna watch Thelma and Louise and I honestly don't remember how I felt about it when I first watched it. I must have been still knee deep in action movies and I was just like not paying attention. But then getting it ready for the review, like first thing that shocked me, I forgot it was like fucking two hours long. Right. Like, you know, like I'm not against long movies, okay? It's just in my old age, any movie that goes past an hour and a half, I'm like, man, only two days, you know, to, to really kind of take in what you're 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 seeing, what you're you, what you're watching. There's a lot lot of layers to take in in a two hour movie, especially deep layered movies. And with this one, I mean, Susan Sarandon. Gina Davis. I mean, I don't exactly know what you want from me in this review. I'm probably going to spend the next 30 minutes just thinking about them. 
Oh, well, you think about them for a moment. I just want to talk about the music. Because that's one of the first things that you get in this film. And uh, we see Hans Zimmer. I was like, jeez, yeah, Hans Zimmer was actually doing music for movies like 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely marvellous soundtrack here. And Ridley Scott was enjoying his work uh, on the film so much that he created this entire opening for Hans Zimmer where we can just layer in his music right nice. at the start yeah. uh, where we get this camera panning up to this gorgeous cinematic mountain vista mm-hmm. as Hans Zimmer's scores playing I'm like oh I'm in movie I'm yeah. already in yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah like tonally it sets the mood the lighting the cinematography everything I'm like yeah this is great this is really great and the film really wastes no time establishing who Thelma is and who Louise is yeah, yeah. we see Thelma in her home life with her marriage and things seem awkward and she definitely seems like the beaten housewife without the actual beating physically but yeah. mentally kind of held back by her husband who seems to be angry especially when he falls over when he goes to get into his car which was unscripted by the way yeah. but Ridley Scott thought it, it was so hilarious it's staying in the film it, it felt like that watching him fall into his car I was just like that, that, that. That looked so out of place. And he's just shouting at the guy in the road. The extras there are like, this wasn't scripted. What do we do? What what do we do? We're just going to stand here. I mean, Shooter McGavin. I mean, that's not really his name, but he's Shooter McGavin from fucking, you know, that Adam Sandler movie. Christopher McDonald. I mean, he's a fabulous actor. And yeah, okay. I I get, I mean, Gary and I were talking about this, how we perceived the movie uh, before we turned the camera on. And I can see from the start, the way he does kind of treat Thelma, the way he talks to her, that she's, yeah, you know, the held back housewife who's just trying to, you know, she's trying, she, what's it, she say to him, what do you want for tea tonight? What do you want for dinner? And he says like, God damn it, Thelma, I don't care what we're going to have for dinner tonight. I'm not even going to be, be here to eat it. I'm probably going to be late. And so immediately, you know, it's implied that he's working late and she's really suspicious of him. But you never find out really if he is doing anything nefarious or if he is just working late and he does come home tired and he does just want her to do all of the house cleaning and stuff like that because well people it's 1991 the wife stays at home and does all the work in you know and the man goes to work to earn the bread now it's not that that's not the case nowadays but you know back then it was kind of implied but yeah he gets out he gets in his car he drives off and then louise calls and susan sarandon you know, she's the waitress, she's working all these hours, and, you know, she calls up Thelma, and she's just like, we're going, are you coming? And Thelma's just like, uh, yeah, fuck it, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Cue packing the suitcase montage. (laughs) I love the moment where uh, Luis turns up to pick up Thelma, and she's coming out with all these suitcases, she's making return trips, she's like, I'm packing everything for just in case, she's like, why do you need that lantern for? Like, has Thelma even ever been on holiday? She's got no life, so no, she has no idea what she's getting herself in for. I mean, neither of them do, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's it, but that's the thing as well, like, like, we know that Thelma doesn't have much of a life, but we don't understand, well, I, I personally, I didn't understand why what the history was well we we got a glimpse of it with her you know relationship with her husband that was the all the film was giving you to just establish these characters early on so you can make your own assumptions or you know figure out roughly what's going on this was it i was trying to work out why don't they have children you know whose choice is it to not have children is one of them 
It was the dad. It, well, it was um, it was Daryl. Daryl says well, Thelma it. says to Louise that Daryl says he still feels like a big child himself, so therefore doesn't feel ready to have children yet, right. which is just his way of just shirking any kind of extra responsibility or commitment to Thelma because maybe he doesn't really love her but keeps her around because that's just the way things have been since they were children. I know. That's that's, what... that's it. For me, there's like her saying that to Louise. I'm like, okay, so the husband is a bad guy, you know, but. There's also certain aspects where I'm like, you could have just gotten out at this point. You could have gotten out of this relationship a lot longer. You've stayed in this relationship. Why? What is it that your husband is bringing back to the home? Maybe it's the money. Maybe it's, it's the, the familiarity. Fact... It's the safety. Yeah, the fact that, you yeah. know, she says at one point that they've been together since they were 14. So maybe she was afraid to go off and get into another relationship. The movie doesn't really delve into that and you don't need it, but... You know, but it tells you enough about who they are very certain, quickly. Yeah, but there's certain character background that I'm just like, I I, I could have done with a little bit more. But we don't In an already two hour plus movie. Yeah, I know, I know, I wanted more. <laughs> the two of them get together. I mean, we have the iconic Polaroid shot of the two of them smiling. I wish, this, I, I really wish somebody had kept that Polaroid. Right. I reckon that Polaroid would be worth a lot of money now. Yeah. Be like, this is the actual Polaroid from, from Thelma and Louise. Yeah. But this is the thing. So the two of them get in a car and they go driving off and they're heading to this cabin. And Louise says, look, we've got to drive for quite a while um, to, to, to get there. And Thelma's just like, well, can we just stop somewhere? Let's stop at this bar. Let's have drinks. I mean, I don't know what the law was back in 1991 when driving, but if Louise is going to knock back a couple of fucking margaritas and then get in a car and drive at night, you're you're risking shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you've got Thelma, who immediately has just sat down and she's knocking back uh, uh, shots of whiskey and things like that and beers. She's telling Louise, like, I want to let my hair down. I want to have fun. You promised me fun. And this is when we're introduced to Harlan, uh, played by Timothy uh, Corhart, who, you know, he's a bad guy. He is a fucking bad guy. And there's little things you notice where he's, you know, he's insistent to be standing there. He's put, you know, he's buying them drinks. You know, he's he's beckoning them to the dance floor. That's it. He's he com- he deliberately spins Thelma around a bunch to get her disorientated, and yeah. then he takes her outside to the car park. And then proceeds to try and rape her. Mm. Now he tries to be the tries the friendly approach first, but when Thelma's you know resisting him, yeah. he gets physical with her and slaps her around, beats her down, and literally is about to rape her. And even when Louise turns up and tells him to stop, he's like, "Nah, I'm going to carry on." Yeah, until the gun is pressed to the back of his head. Yeah, and then he backs down. However, he still continues with his vulgarity, and even though Thelma and Louise have backed away, yeah. Which, which was, for me was shocking because, mm. like, I, I honestly thought it was a case of walk up, bad guy, bang, this is now the catalyst for the rest of the movie. The two of them actually walk. Thelma actually says, Louise, let's go. And she starts to walk away. But it's Harlan who who says some vulgar things, tells her to suck his dick. And that's when Louise just turns and goes, blam, and shoots him dead. I should have gone ahead and fucked her. What did you say? I said, suck my cock. Yeah, just executed him. And uh, we don't fully understand why just yet, Mm. but there seems to be an implication a bit later on when Louise decides, here's the map, 
we need to get here, but to get there, we need to go through Texas. And I'm telling you, navigate me all the way around Texas to get where we're going. Yeah. And we don't quite know what happened to Louise in Texas. However, the film is implying, based on what we've just witnessed as well with the attempted rape, that Louise was probably raped in Texas at some point in her life. Yeah. And has never really gotten past the trauma of it all. And and a point of rage is why she's killed this, you know, attempted rapist now yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, for, for me, there's just certain character background story stuff that I think could have been utilised in the story to make you feel a bit more of a connection to Thelma and Louise. But it's it's not in the movie. And so my mind just starts over ticking, like the whole Louise thing. You know, when did you leave Texas? Who raped you? What age were you? How long have you been living with this trauma? Because now you've now you have used the rage that you've been holding on to all this time to allow you to shoot this man dead. You know, like... Did Louise always want to kill somebody, you know, and she was just waiting for the opportunity or this, it just happened to be this one moment that made her go, I'd say you definitely know not. Fuck you. I'm going to, I'm going to shoot. Cause like in the said, heat of the moment. Yes. But considering the rest of, you know, the following half an hour is Louise dealing with the aftermath of that. Yeah. The fact that she's in utter shock yeah. that she even did it, you know, that she keeps saying to Thelma, like, look, we need to pull over. I need to get coffee. I need to get my head straight because yeah. she's just can't think. She's just dealing with the fact of what she's just done. And so the panic sets in and now the two of them are on the run. Yeah. And Thelma even says to her at one point, like, we should go to the police. We need to tell them what happened, blah, blah, blah. And Louise is just like, nope, they're not going to believe us. You know, they're 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 going to understand that you were dancing with him, that you were drinking, that he, like maybe you lured him on. And then it's mar- and and in a way, that's kind of. Uh, Louise's kind of anxiety, her paranoia, creating this situation to make Thelma agree, okay, yes, we won't go to the police. What do you want to do? And so that's then the rest of the movie is the two of them just driving towards Mexico as fast as they can, avoiding Texas, which takes up quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> <the> fucking Mexican <laughs> border. And then we get introduced to Harvey Keitel, mm. who plays Hal who is a detective or a police officer. Yeah. And he's an agent. And he is uh, trying to figure out what in the world happened here. And he's interrogating or questioning the waitress at the bar. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, nah, it wouldn't have been those two girls. Like, they wouldn't have shot anybody. But this <laughs> the guy that got killed, like, he had it coming. Like, he's been doing all sorts of horrible things. And so it's no surprise that he got killed. But those two, definitely wasn't them. Yeah. And so that sets Hal off to, well, he's still trying to figure out what happened, but at least he is now already been set, set the seed that the two that he's now looking for Mm. might actually be the victims Mm. in this. Yeah. Yeah. Like they didn't intentionally murder this guy for nothing. Yeah. He was doing something and they were defending themselves. But that's the thing. Like we were talking about this before turning the camera on. It's like, you get behind the idea that Thelma and Louise are on the run, but people are actually wanting them to come in so that they can just talk about their situation and, and, and to keep them safe. But Thelma and Louise just keep making more and more problems for themselves as they go that it ultimately, you know, snowballs or avalanches or builds up or whatever you want to, to the point where there is no escape. And I sit there, I, I sat there a couple of times going, girls, no, girls, no, no, don't, no, what, what, Jesus Christ. You know, like, like the two of them know that they can't go home and the police have already contacted Shooter McGavin, you know, Christopher McDonald. And so 
they're waiting for the, the girls to call. And so as soon as Thelma calls and he's like, hey, Thelma, how are you doing? She immediately hangs the phone up going, he knows. <laughs> it was a great moment. It was a great moment. Because he turns to the other police like, oh, was that was hello. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, but compare that to the last the time last, you answered the yeah. phone to her. It's like, no wonder she needs something was up because you're not nice to her yeah. normally. Normally, yeah. And it's like Louise calls back and she's, she bypasses the husband and says, look, just put the police on. And she starts speaking to Harvey Cartel's character. And we'd already had that moment where he'd gone to her um, her apartment, hadn't he? You know, good old 1991. You could use like a plastic card to break past somebody's lock, you know. <laughs> Just break in anyhow. <laughs> and he walks around and she's got a really tidy apartment. I mean, she doesn't seem to live with anybody. She doesn't have any children, no pets. She's just, you know, she keeps herself to herself. And it's when he kind of holds her... Uh, picture like a birthday picture yeah yeah of, of louise when she was young that he starts to look into her history and he starts to get an understanding of what her past is like and yet the film actually doesn't tell you that which i feel like it messed the mark but like I said two hours long did you really need any more you just I, needed the story to keep yeah, going yeah I, I don't think the film needed to be as blunt as that as to tell you all the details i think it needed to just sprinkle in a few little things for your mind to wonder and race to think about to put those things together so mm. you know i think the film's quite smart uh, so i i quite liked that uh, i really did yeah but as they're driving along, you know, they uh, they come across uh, a really good looking face by the side of the road. And we get introduced to JD, the young Mr. Brad Pitt in, I think, his first American role. Like, yep. he'd already done a film like in 1987, which will be released for another 10 years. <laughs> but there he is in his cowboy hat and his boots and his jeans. And Thelma's like immediately kind of infatuated by him. But Louise is very protective which I really liked, you know, it, it, half the movie really feels like Louise is prote protecting Thelma. And then the other half, it feels like Thelma has decided that she's oh, going to yeah. protect Louise. They definitely have like a mother-daughter relationship. But during the course of the film, they definitely feel more like sisters oh, than best friends yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Brad Pitt was excellent in this, though he almost didn't get the part. Really? He had to audition three times for the role. Wow. And even then, the studio were like, no, nah, we don't really know. We're, we've got this other guy... George Clooney, that we think we're going to cast him. Uh, apparently, they also they also auditioned Mark Ruffalo, William Baldwin, and a couple of others as well. But it was Gina Davis who, uh, who when she was brought in to do a line reading with Brad Pitt, yeah. she walked out and she was like, "Yeah, hire the blonde one." <laughs> like she was she was a bit weak at the knees. But then again, like I think I think it's understandable. Yeah, I mean Brad Pitt is just yeah. it's fucking Brad Pitt. We, yeah. I mean, like I don't I don't play for that team, but like. It's Brad fucking Pitt, man. It's Brad Pitt. Like, somebody sat there and went, George Clooney, Mark Ruffalo, or that motherfucker? Let's go with that motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, unknown at the time, but yeah, pretty much this film helped launch his career. Absolutely. Oh, totally. Yeah. He's, he is really good and really articulate the way that he delivers his character. Um, but that's what makes me suspicious about his character right off the bat. And as is uh, Louise as well. Like, the moment Louise sets eyes on him, she's like, no, nah, you're not getting in the car with us. No. Like, you are trouble. Yeah. She she, she susses him out immediately. And, and yeah, JD's like, backs away. He's like, yeah, okay, yeah, I can't win this. Like, you got me. Yeah. <laughs> and for me, that was when I actually started to notice that, the, you know, there was a lot of implication from the movie that, you know, men were bad. Uh, and and the, you know the women you know then when Louise they, they're the they're the stars of the film and so we need to obviously stick with their story and wh where they're going and things like that. 
Um, but I was very surprised when they introduced the Michael Madsen character. You know, like the the girls have been, you know, driving along and they happen to come across JD again, don't they? So they get him into the car. Um, but Louise decides that she needs money. Um, and so she's calling Michael Madsen, who's playing Jimmy. And, you know, were they in a relationship? Are they still in a relationship? Did something happen in the relationship? We don't know. We just know that, you know, Jimmy and Louise feel something for each other. But Louise doesn't want to tell him anything that's going on because she's trying not to tell anybody. Really. She doesn't want to implicate him or drag him in as an accomplice or anything like, like that. that. But she is asking... For assistance. Now, she has her own savings, but she just can't yeah. get to it yeah, easily. Yeah. So she asks Jimmy to wire it and then transfer it. Yeah. So then he calls her, tells her where the pickup point is. And when she gets there and gives the password of Peaches, yeah. well, Jimmy's already there waiting for her. Yeah. Because he he generally does love her. He does, yeah. He generally, he even has a ring at one point and wants to get married and, you know, shit like that. But it's like... Louise, or as soon as Random playing Louise, she does like Jimmy and she kind of wishes things were different so that she could be with Jimmy. But as things are the way they are, which, as like I said, this is what kind of put me on edge with the movie. It's like, this guy generally really likes you and yet you can't tell him the truth. I understand why you don't want to tell him the truth, but why not take Jimmy with you? have somebody there as stability and i know that the film's leading up to this iconic moment and so you can't have that but you're building up michael madsen's character he's he's a great actor you know this jimmy he's helping out he loves her she you know even when he does his little violent thing outburst in the bed in the motel room and smashes a bunch of shit up she says to him i'm gone and he calms down so he will listen to her and i like like like, it doesn't actually show you, but did they have sex or did they just spend the night with each other? They just spent the night with each other. Uh, now, in the script, uh, there was a sex scene between uh, Louise and uh, and Jimmy. Yeah. Uh, but Susan Sarandon said to Ridley Scott, she was just like, are you, are you mad? Like... My character's just murdered someone. Mm. My character is still dealing with the the thing that happened in, in Texas and the thing that's just recently happened. Yeah. Sex is not something that she's interested in yeah. at this point in time. So Ridley was like, now that you've mentioned it, you're absolutely right. We'll remove that. And what we'll do is we'll actually make up a scene because I still need something to cut to yeah, between yeah, yeah. the other two actually getting it on in the room next door. So yeah. we do actually need some dialogue. And I think it was really soulful and heartfelt. And yeah. it really it really said more than just watching them grinding on a bed for a few minutes. Well, you that's know? what made me wonder if they'd had sex. Because it does, it does cut. The two of them are talking. They're getting close. And then it cuts to Gina Davis and JD. But when it cuts back, you know, Michael Madsen's character is asleep. And Gina, uh, Susan Sarandon's character is looking out the window. And I couldn't tell if she was looking, if it was the look of a woman who just had meaningless sex. You know, she she, you know, she just lied there. Or she was really contemplating, like, shall I go with him? Or shall I go on my own? What What's my next step? Where am I going? You know, it's you know, I got a lot from Susan Sarandon's acting there. Oh, yeah. That she was, you know, contemplating existence or life. On the other hand, you know, like you the said... The diner the next morning. Well, Thelma comes wandering in with her hair all over. She's disheveled. And she's like, Well, that was it. I was going to go back. Because, you know, when Jimmy turned up, they'd had JD in the car. They picked him up and they were driving. And he was all in it with Thelma. And Jimmy's just like, 
go, you're gone. He knows, Louise knows, they both know that JD's a bad guy and you don't want him around. Now, the moment they are out and Thelma's left on her own, Thelma is sat in the hotel room with like $6,000-odd of uh, Louise's savings in an envelope on the nightstand. And knock, knock, knock at the door, there's JD. And I'm like, nah, it's, I can smell a bad guy a mile away. There's no way... This guy would look so good and be so nice if he was just fucking hitchhiking up and down the road. He is a robber. He is a thief. And he goes through his whole reenactment of what he does in front of Thelma. And so while he's doing that, I'm like, that money's gone. You might as well just fucking hand it to him now because the moment your back's turned, he's taking that money. And so like you said, the next morning after their sexy glances, which they did seem pretty pretty hot and heavy you mm -hmm. know <laughs> if they had done anything i don't know but if i was jeff goldblum and i was watching those sequences i'd be like hmm hmm <laughs> he's a really good actor <laughs> But yeah, I mean, we get to that morning restaurant and that's when uh, Louise is like, Thelma, where, where did you leave JD? And she's like, oh, she's, he's back in the bedroom with, with the money. Yeah. <laughs> and they race in there and it, yeah, it's gone. It's and gone. he's gone. He's gone. Everything's gone. I, I like, I liked her breakdown. Yeah. But then I don't know if it was, a, I don't know if it was enough for me. Like, like she'd probably broken down, but there was no blame. Like, like we're friends. Yeah. If we're sharing a room and you leave six thousand pounds on the side and you fuck off and then know that money you're missing, you gonna be pissed at me, right? I won't be pissed, Ian. I'll just be disappointed. <laughs> He'd be pissed. <laughs> and fucking Louise is sat there looking at Thelma going, Oh, I'm really upset. I'm like, bitch, you lucky she don't shoot you. <laughs> yeah, and uh, well they realise how bad things actually are. But they can't stop them now. They've got to get back on the road and keep going. Yeah, yeah. And that gives Thelma, a little idea. <laughs> yeah. So they pull over. She's like, oh, I'm going to get some stuff. And we leave Louise. just sat in the car. She's looking around. She sees old Thelma and Louise looking out a window. She does. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they're looking back at her. And then all of a sudden, get the car started. Go drive. <laughs> and we realize that Thelma has just robbed the convenience store. And uh, we don't actually see it happen. Well, no, until we, yeah, yeah. we catch up with, with Harvey Keitel again, who is sat around with the rest of the police, and they're watching the playback, and we get to see her almost reenact entirely what JD had demonstrated yeah. to her in the motel the night before. And uh, But then we also see that twist in Thelma, where she's like, you know, I think I've got a knack for this. Yeah. I think I could be a really good criminal. Jesus Christ. Good God. My Lord. I did love that little meme because e each one of them says something, doesn't they? They're yes. like, dear God, or holy Jesus. God, Jesus. Oh, and, yeah. and it was a really comedy <laughs> moment. There were some great comedy moments, despite the fact that the film's quite bleak and like there's crime and yeah. rape and, and murder and they're on the run. There's still those little moments of levity, which just breaks up the pacing quite nicely. The little bit, the little run that Harvey Keitel does in the rain to get to the door before the other agent gets there. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what are you doing? You're just messing around now. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. Gina Davis has just robbed the store. So 
you know, Harvey Keitel is talking to him on the phone at one point going, like, you know, the, 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 the killing we could have probably dealt with as an accident or something, but now you're just robbing stores and we need to arrest you now. People are like... That was armed notice. robbery. Yeah. And the, and the girls are just like, you know, they, they're giving, in a way, they're kind of given every outing. Mm. They, they're given every chance to, to hand themselves in, to, to do their side. Yeah, they're going to see a little bit of prison time, but with the situations they found themselves in, yeah, that was going to happen. But the two of them just like, nah, we're just going to keep going. You know, we're, we're going to get to Mexico and uh, I don't know what they're going to do when they get there. I, I, that's but it. That's the plan. I mean, that's, I mean, they're in the middle of the situation. They're not thinking. They're just acting out and trying to get somewhere where they can, I don't know, catch a moment to think about things thoroughly, but they're feeling things, not thinking things through. Well, they kind of have a moment. I mean, when they we, do. when we have the night drive sequence yes. and they're driving through the canyon, which is a really beautiful sequence. I mean, you can't argue that really Scott just has an eye oh, yeah. for some really great visuals. He manages to capture really beautiful shots. And there's that moment where she pulls over uh, and Thelma's asleep and she does this kind of stand just staring out at the rocks. Yeah. You know, just... Now, this goes back to what I was saying earlier about how Ridley Scott liked to collaborate with his actors because mm. all of that was Susan Sarandon's idea. Ah. She was just like, why don't we just have a, a quiet moment, no dialogue, yeah, where yeah, yeah. we just get to express through, you know, express our thoughts and feelings without saying anything just by acting and have this beautiful setup. And Ridley Scott was like, you know, that's a pretty good idea. Yeah. Um, let me get back to you. And then uh, Ridley Scott turned to the cast and crew and went, okay, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> and we're going to do this. And it took him seven hours to set up that one shot that's in the movie. Susan yeah. was like, I shouldn't have come up with this idea. But, I mean, it's it's a beautiful moment in the film that she had the idea for. Uh, but, yeah, she just wasn't quite prepared for the seven hours it's going to take to light the desert yeah. and the mountain in the background yeah. as the sun was coming over the hill. So there were, yeah, long, long shoots. Long but shoots. they collaborated and they knew what they were working for to have those moments. So, yeah, yeah. it was just a great impulse idea that's just turned into and one of my favorite scenes in the film. So, yeah. Yeah, it is, yeah, it is really great because they are contemplating what to do next. And it is, it, it feels inevitable what's going to happen to yeah, them. Yeah, it does. But it's still filled yeah. with moments of hope as well. And I think that's weaved into Hans Zimmer's score uh, yeah. just as much as the sun coming out of the cloud at the, you know, that scene. Yeah, you're constantly, or I was constantly sitting there going, man, I know how this ends, but I really just hope that they get out. Or, you know, Harvey Keitel comes just up with a, them down. a loophole that, oh, yeah, you don't, you're not going to jail for that because we understand that your husband was a bastard and, you know, the, the other guy was a rapist. So you're you're getting off scot-free, you know? But it's just like, that's never going to... It's when they get pulled over by the cops. Right. That was so fucking funny. Maybe he doesn't know who we are yet. Okay. He looks like a Nazi, you know? <laughs> and and then, then, you know, Gina Davis comes up to the side of the car when he's questioning Louise and she puts the gun to his face and she's like, I don't really normally do this but if you saw my husband I'm like bitch your husband's got nothing to do with this you choose no reason I swear three days ago neither one of us would have ever pulled a stunt like this but if you was able to meet my husband you'd understand why but they was it they shoot the boot they, they shoot the boot of the car now, she first she tells uh Thelma uh, she tells <laughs> Louise to shoot the radio and she does and she's like no the police radio, the police radio. <laughs> 
I say it's like they're bumbling towards yeah. the end of the movie oh, sometimes. Yeah. I'm like, I always expected Thelma and Louise to be like Bonnie and Clyde, yeah. you know, but no, it's more like Mr. Bean and fucking Mr. Magoo trying to get to the end. <laughs> the guy's crying, isn't he? He's just yeah. like, I got kids. And they're like, just get in the car. Yeah. Okay, take his belt so that we've got extra bullets and they drive off. And what makes the sequence even more funnier, I was fucking <laughs> dying with the sequence. It's the stoner guy. The stoner cyclist. I'm like, nobody ever talks about the stoner cyclist from Thelma and Louise. Like, he rides up and I'm I'm like, why can't he hear the cop? Oh, he's got headphones in. Right. So the cop starts screaming louder, screaming louder. Bingo through the bullet holes. Like, the keys are the over keys there. Are there. <laughs> and the guy literally walks over, takes a big, massive toke of his joint and just blows the smoke into the boot. <laughs> you don't know if he actually lets the guy out or anything. No, <laughs> it just cuts to something there. else. That was great. Yeah, that's another favourite scene, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Harvey Keitel, he's contacted the FBI. The FBI have got involved. They're doing all of their checks. They're doing uh, phone wiretaps and all that kind of stuff. They've managed to get hold of Jimmy, who's uh, pointed the direction towards JD. They've picked up JD. I thought that sequence between Harvey Keitel and Brad Pitt was really good, where he's questioning them. But I also felt like Harvey Keitel might have been pushing his I'm the older actor thing a little bit too much well because i've never seen them act together since no it's true yeah you know and so like opportunities might not have come up i understand that i really wish i could see harvey Keitel and brad pitt act again but just the way that harvey Keitel was kind of pushing him and grabbing him and things like just kind of being really rough with brad pitt's character that it's like, because you know harvey's like really sympathetic to thelma and louise that and is so true he yeah. knows he knows that he probably could have got them to turn themselves in because yes. they'd only killed a, a rapist at that yeah. point in time but because jd had stole their money it's forced them to you know t- take the law into their own hands yes. basically and yeah that's true it's yeah. forced them to go- become criminals and go and rob uh the store and which has led to the chain of events which has made it worse for them yeah so he's blaming everything on jd here yeah and yeah. Uh, it comes through really well and it makes it endears me to you know the harvey cartel character because he is really sympathetic and he really he cares for him because nobody else seems to have the jimmy but like it just seems like the rest of the world's out to get them and Louise. that's the kind of the way it's positioned yeah that, yeah exactly that's how i felt as well it's like yeah. everything was just so against them so they had to resort to extreme things to do but between the harvey cartel character and the michael madsen character you know these guys are legitimately trying to help yeah now, I, when I was watching the film, I've seen this film like maybe 15 times. Wow. Uh, I absolutely love this film and treasure it. But on this viewing, where I was being a bit more critical for it, I was like, okay, yeah, so the film is, it's it's two hours, 10 minutes long. I was like, now, what, if if I was to cut this film back, like, what would I remove from it? Yeah, yeah. And, and alter the perspective and the storytelling as well. And I was like, how about we just take out all of the police stuff, or take out Harvey Keitel's character, take out all the police investigation, take out the phone tapping and wiring and wow. investigation, take all that stuff out and never leave Thelma and Louise from start to finish. Yeah, so yeah. They, we then, therefore, we're not in the position of a sympathetic cop that understands and wants to help them, but we're just with them. We know that they've committed crime. They know it's like life in prison or death sentence at yeah, this point yeah, if they yeah, get caught. Yeah. So 
we feel the impetus to then drive and get to Mexico to get there with them. And then I was like, mm, that's kind of like vanishing point. I was in a just way. about to fucking and say that. Like, because that's like the brother of this of the sister film. Like the, yeah. these two are like great together. Yeah. Um, but I was like, but no, I was like, at the same time, it would take away because I feel like we need to hang our some of our emotions on the Harvey Keitel character well, yeah, because yeah, we do. he is like the, one of the only good guys in the film and he really does care and it really, and he gets to act that yeah. and it really shows. So yeah. I was like, you know what? I, I wouldn't change a thing. <laughs> I, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, like I said, there's so many things in the movie points to, you know, trying to do some harm to the girls that that's what causes them to do these extreme situations. But every now and again, we keep dropping back to the Harvey Keitel character where he's like, look, I just need you to come in. I just want to talk to you. And he's constantly just trying to talk them down. He's trying to tell everybody around him that they're just trying to bring them down and they're not. You know, ultimately, they they come across this truck driver like three times and he's just, he's a horrible piece of shit. <laughs> he is he's, horrible. He's just making rude gestures and, and offensive language towards them and stuff like that. And the first time they see it, they have a laugh. The second time they see it, they're a bit more annoyed. Third time they see it, they're like, all right, come on then. You know, let's let's pull you in. Let's do these things. Um, but at this point, they've got guns and they're taking no shit. So when the guy gets out of his truck and he comes over, they start questioning him. They put him on the spot. How would you how would you feel if you if that was being said to your wife or your sister? And it makes him uncomfortable. And I suppose that's what as a man, that's what you should kind of take away from this film. Not of how you know how your actions may force somebody to do the extreme, but what you can do to avoid that you know you don't have to say rude things to some girl that you don't even know because that's somebody's sister mother you know daughter whatever be a bit more respectful because otherwise they might pull out a gun and blow your fucking truck up <laughs> it's crazy was i mean Ridley Scott said, right, I'm going to gonna rig the explosion. The girls don't know that the explosion's going to go off while the camera's rolling. Right. I'm going to get a real natural reaction, like he did with Aliens. Oh, yeah, nice. And uh, it did the explosion, and the two girls were just like... Because <laughs> they didn't expect it to blow up. So he didn't get a reaction at all. He was like, right, all right, so I've set all this up, but it's failed. So I was like, you never hear of it failing. No, you always yeah. hear of like, oh, the actual reaction. Yeah. Whereas two of them just, they didn't even act at all. That's it. They were just so <laughs> casually laid back with their guns. Like, well. But yeah, it's, it's it's a weird image. The guy on his knees, his hands in the air, the explosion <laughs> in the background. I always forget. Yeah, that's Elmer and Louise. I always yeah. forget that. <laughs> and this kind of you know gets to the point now where the cops... They, they've narrowed down the chase. They, they, they've managed to lock in on a, a phone number. And then obviously they've seen the massive huge explosions. They know the girls are heading in a certain direction. And so there's that point where they're driving down. They see three police cars going the other way. And they're like, do you think that's for us? And then all of a sudden the cops just turn around. And it just becomes this massive huge chase sequence. And I, I really did like that turn. You know, that the movie had been kind of serious and dark and loving and emotional and funny and this, that, and the next thing. And now, bang, it's just all fucking it's action. It's all real. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd love myself a good car chase. Uh, oh, I, I really yeah. like the, the one in this one. It feels believable. It feels like uh, this could actually happen. Yeah, and uh, I, I, I don't know. I just I love watching cop cars go flying through the yes, air. And right. Thanks, Blues Brothers. Blues Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, they they drive through this tiny little bridge section, don't they? Yeah, we yeah. see the cop car attempt it as well and get stuck. Yeah. And they're driving away like, 
It's quiet. Yeah. Like, I think we actually did it. We, were we got away. Yeah. So like, you're, just like, you're kind of relieved for them. I love that cliff shot. Yeah. You know, they're driving along the side of the cliff and there's a bit of a drop and then you see the helicopter come from underneath, you yeah. know, and you're like, oh shit, they, they're, they're being properly Exactly, because then you see like the 15 police cars coming up the behind them as yeah. well. They reverse around, they're like, we are, we're trapped. What is it they say? They're like, what is this? I think it's the Grand Canyon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They had no idea where they were. No. <laughs> it's just like, we can't go anywhere. This is a massive, huge drop. They turn around. They see all these police cars, all these armed police officers. I was very surprised that actually, you know, there was a female police officer yeah. in there uh, at one point, you know, glasses on, calling them in. And I was just like, hey, you know, fair use and men and women all in the same job kind of thing. But these guys are armed with M16s. Well, you've got the guy. Is know? it the guy from um, Groundhog Day? Yeah, it is. Yes, Ned, yeah. Ned, Ned fucking Ned Peterson. <laughs> fucking Ned the head, needle yeah. nose Ned, motherfucker. Yeah. He's there and he's like, look, it's just normal procedure, right? We have that. We have all of this no matter who's in the car. Yeah. You know, it's just, just this normal procedure. And, and Harvey's Harvey just like, no, yeah. you can't shoot them. Like, please don't know. Yeah. And then release just have that moment. They're just like, you know what? We can't go back. We no. don't want to go back. I don't even want to go back to my old life, even if I could have it, because I'm changed now mm. forever. Yeah. And uh, I'd rather just keep going because I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to get a death sentence. And I don't want. I don't want no, my normal life back either. So I want to be with my friend forever. And if yeah. that means we got to drive off a cliff and die together, then that's it. And they do. And, and what's really shocking for me is, like, people talk about this ending so much, but nobody ever brings up the fact that Harvey Cartel's Howe character chases after them. Yeah. He his hand in the air, just trying to call them yeah, back. He's, to stop them, because he knows that they're going off that edge and they're never coming back, and he wants to help them. Yeah. You know, he, he still firmly believes that they're kind of innocent in all of this, and it's just yeah, been He won. knows they're still getting jail time, but they'll be alive. Yeah. They could still have a life. Like, they don't have to be in this moment forever, which, you know... And it's it's really sad. Like, I mean, Hans Zimmer's score, it's foreshadowing this, like, yeah. all the way up to this moment. But then when it gets here, it kind of it kind of eases off, lets the characters have this moment. And then once they hit the pedal to the metal and go, yeah. and then that score comes right back in again, like, you can't help but feel like you've just been shanked yeah. with an emotional punch. It's, ah, and then the freeze frame, the Kodak freeze frame moment. It's beautiful. It really is. Yeah. And uh, and then the film goes and destroys itself yeah. by montaging all these happy moments like, oh, smiles and laughter. Like, I'm like, no, 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 movie, wait. I know you're cutting to credits, but I needed like I needed like a minute to deal with the visual of them going off the cliff to to jump to this happy montage stuff. It, it, it took me back to being there. Yeah, I was yeah. like, it, it's just, you took me out of that moment, which I was enjoying. I mean, it was sad, but I was enjoying the moment. Uh, and then it's the illusion of it all was immediately shattered. So I really didn't like that. That's it. I didn't like this sequence at the end either because it just seemed of all the happy moments of Thelma and Louise. And yet, you know, I, I get that. We were really happy and we we're enjoying the trip and stuff like that. But that's it's it's as if you're trying to erase all of the bad things that got them to that drop off point anyway yeah you know and yet that's what kind of made the Thelma and Louise characters the way they were but at the start they were just 
happy homeowner loving friends by the end they were anti-heroes they were against the world they hated all of the shit that was being kind of forced onto them so they were kind of fighting back and yet once you get to the montage sequence you, you kind of lose all that Mm. You know, I, I would have rather the film had just frozen on that and then gone to black and then had the title yeah. cards and just had and the, then the, music, credits. And the, yeah, music the music playing yeah. over again. And that would have made me want to go back and watch the movie over again. Yeah. Watching this friendly montage sequence, it kind of hits me where I'm like, I don't want to kind of sit through it all again because yeah. I was enjoying myself and then I'm yeah. going to sit through all the bad shit all over again. I don't want to sit through all the bad shit all over again. Yeah. 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 Now, um, that wasn't the uh, original... Well, I mean, that was the original ending as scripted. Yeah. And uh, when Susan Sarandon signed on, she was like, I'm only signing on to this film right now, Ridley, if you can tell me to my face that you will not change the ending as it is written. We are going off that cliff at the end. And Ridley Scott was like, yeah, okay then. Yeah. <laughs> because the studio, when the film was finished, the studio went, no, 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 no. Yeah, we, we're, not having the, we're not having this downbeat ending. Get in there and change it. So Ridley turned to the studio and went, and do what? And the studio went, uh, 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 actually, we got nothing. So it stays as is. <laughs> you know now, Ridley Scott did also have, he had the idea at one point that Louise, as the car was getting caught towards the cliff, would push Thelma out of the car and go uh, off on her own. Yeah, and I was like, nah. I understand why Louise would do that for Thelma because Louise was the one that shot the rapist, was the one that took them on the run, and Thelma was kind of. You know the the wingman for a while until yeah. she ended up doing some crime herself. But yeah. like she was, she was if if anything, she wasn't as smart as Louise. No, she, she was more innocent and yeah. uh, naive. And, and naive, exactly. Yeah. And so maybe saving her. But I was like, but that takes away that friend when they hold hands, that bond of friendship and yeah. the freedom that they've both experienced. Taking that away to throw Thelma out the door, I was like, "Geez, that would be comical and and just a disaster of an yeah. ending." So I'm, I was glad that's not there as well. Now there is also a deleted alternate ending sequence. Okay. Now when the car goes off the cliff, it sort of just about reaches the horizon, and that's when the freeze frame happens. Mm. Uh, it, there is an extended version where the car goes down a little bit deeper. Uh, but there is also an entirely shot ending where the car goes off the cliff and we stay with it until the car flips upside down and disappears behind the rocks. And we follow Harvey run all the way up to the cliffside, looking down, can't see the car as the helicopter swoops in to try to find the wreckage. And the music just keeps playing. Like, the music is just doing all that heavy lifting yeah, as well. Yeah. Uh, but I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm happy with the cut. Yeah. Uh, or, or the freeze frame as the car gets so far down because you like well, there's no surviving this. No, no, no matter what. You're driving um, the Grand Canyon. Exactly. Uh, so, but also what I do like about the deleted ending is that after after the, all of that, there is the shot from the very beginning of that mountain. Right. And Thelma and Louise driving through most of the credits towards the mountain down that one wow. singular road. I'm like, yeah, they're in heaven together, still driving towards the pearly yeah. gates or something. I was like, I kind of like that. But more than the bloody montage at the end. So, yeah. yeah, I can understand why it was difficult because it's freaking iconic, this ending. So as is, I'm happy with. I just don't like the montage. I kind of would have gone for a shootout. Yeah, what were your favourite scenes? Um, I had a few favourite sequences. I mean, you know, the, the iconic Polaroid uh, shot at the beginning with the two of them, you know, just kind of hugging or going on the trip. I mean, it's just beautiful that just one you could just freeze frame that one shot 
and be like, bang, that's fucking Thelma and Louise. Hell yeah. Always right there. You know, I, I, I did like Shooter McGavin, Christopher McDonald. He is a fun actor. I mean, he's more better in his comedies. But it, and maybe that's what put me off of his character in this is that I was expecting more comedy from him. So so when he was trying to be the serious husband at the beginning, I didn't really get it because he just sounded like a goofball, you know. And then when he's then when she rings him and he's like hi and she hangs up, that was just funny. But the like the last sequence you had where you know he's listening to the radio about them being armed and dangerous and the police. He's staring. And it's a stare, I, I was saying to Gary, like a concerned partner, a concerned husband. He wants his wife to come home. Like, maybe that point he's like, I do really love you and I'm really sorry for all the crap that I put you through. We don't know what crap it was, um, but whatever it was would make him question doing it ever again. You don't know what you have until it's gone, right? Exactly. Brad Pitt. He is a compulsive robber and him standing there with the hairdryer t- talking to Thelma throughout the sequence about how he does his robbery. He, he's fucking great. He is great. And it's, it's, it's funny to watch him in this and to know that he is literally just going to hit movie after movie after movie, which he's just going to be phenomenal in. But in this, in his cowboy hat, him fucking Gina Davis, you lucky bastard. Like... Like, I didn't think those sequences were going to go as far as they did, but they did. So kudos to Gina Davis. Then I just slip on out. Uh, Thelma walking in the diner the next morning, like, what's wrong with your hair? What, what's, what's wrong with it? I'm all over the place. You know, that woman's, that's a look of a woman who hit the big O that night, you know, maybe three or four times. <laughs> Uh, her going in and robbing the store. I mean, it's just so funny just watching uh, Gina Davis Thelma in the, on the surveillance camera, going through all the talk, getting everybody down on the floor, going through exactly what JD said, you know, forcing people. And then the, the cop stuff after. That was another comedy moment. Each one of them had one thing to say, three in a row. And you just, you just it's comedy. Why should it be funny? It's supposed to be really serious, but... Then the men are kind of goofballs. The uh, the 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 driving at night in the desert. Um, it was just beautiful. You're in the middle of the. De- I was watching this desert sequence, and I'm just like, you. They're in the desert, miles from anybody, and yet somewhere there's all these police rushing around trying to arrest them and get to them. But here they are in the middle of the desert, quiet night, contemplating what they're going to do with their existence. It was ace. The stoner cyclist. I mean, Jesus, it was funny as fuck. <laughs> you, never, yeah. you never know what happens to the cop. He literally just blows the smoke into the fucking Some hole. Some say he's still in there. <laughs> High as fuck. And then the iconic cliff drop. Um, I just just love the way, like I said, that, that helicopter shot coming along the bottom of the canyon, coming up in front of them, knowing full well that there was no escape. I, like I said, I really loved the fact that Javi Keitel's character was there to try to stop them and then just them just going off the cliff. Brilliant ending. Yeah, I'm going to struggle to think of any extra scenes because you mentioned <laughs> all the ones I've got listed. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, if I pull one scene, I really like the scenes with uh, Louise and Jimmy. Mm. Uh, I, I yes. thought the, the performance there and the fact that because because we see Michael Madsen and we're like, here we go, here comes trouble. <laughs> yeah, you know? like he's gonna and, kill somebody. And the fact that he's playing against type, kind of like Harvey as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just picture them in like you know um, 
reservoir dogs and so seeing them here it's just like a complete reversal uh but i thought that the scene together where it wasn't a sex scene but it was just dialogue yeah i, I really really liked that um i love the uh the scene where the police uh, are talking to to daryl and they're like look when she calls just be nice and just be like ask her how she is and and what her day's been like because you women, know, w- women, women love, love that. that shit <laughs> like you really miss her women love that shit The silly comedy moments like that, but it does add some levity, uh, which, which was needed. You know what I did think was crazy? I really wish they'd had it. I wanted Harvey Cartel and Michael Madsen to have a sequence, and they didn't. Yeah. And yet, a year later, Reservoir Dogs. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah the, the guy blowing the smoke into the, the bullet holes in the cop car. Uh, the shooting the radio please moment. Thelma calling Daryl and then hanging up immediately was great. Uh, but yeah, I love the final sequence as well. Just sat there, just like I can't go back. Uh, the the journey together. The, it was just it was just really epic stuff here and that and that finale. The whole chase sequence up to the canyon and then going over. It was just so memorable. It's iconic and it's masterfully done. Yeah, Ian. You recommend Thelma and Louise? I do recommend Thelma and Louise, though I did say to Gary that I do think that it might be a little bit dated now, and mainly because a lot of the things are very 90s. Uh, You know, the movie's 1991, so of course it's going to be. But it's 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 an it's 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 an aspect of that time. You know, like I said, if the script had been made into a movie in 1979, we'd be talking about completely different things of that time period that you know, these two women would have had to have gone through. In the 90s, they had a little bit more leeway, but it was just enough as well to say, look, this is what's going to happen if you push them over the fucking edge, literally. Um, It's got some stellar acting. It's got some stellar visuals. It's got some stellar moments. You know, it's got, you know, Brad Pitt in his first real iconic role, Michael Madsen and Harvey Keitel playing against roles that they were used to. Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon are, are just Oh, just whoa! I, you know, I'm not going to go into what I'm thinking about that, but it's it's the point that oh, we've said it a million times. If you even consider thinking that you like cinema, you have to have seen Thelma and Louise. Now, even if you don't enjoy it after two hours and ten minutes, and and it can seem really fucking long, two hours and ten minutes. If even if you don't enjoy it, you have seen it. And the fact that you've seen it means the movie is still iconic. Oh, I'm easily recommending Thelma and Louise. Uh, this is a must-watch film recommendation for me. It's a fantastic epic drama about the journey these two characters face while on the road, on the run. Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis were both equally amazing, presenting fully fleshed-out characters who equally shared great chemistry. They were outstanding and very entertaining to watch. Ridley Scott always delivers when it comes to how good the film looks and working with Adrian Biddle as the cinematographer, the guy who shot Aliens and The Mummy. You know, the imagery and shot compositions are sublime and the film offers plenty of time to to ease off the gas and just let subtle and reflective moments happen before something horrible gets in the way again. You know, the film has a great pace for an over two-hour runtime. It's got a good story with leads that we grow to love and feel sympathetic for, and as changed as they are, 
before the last mile. And it's bittersweet. It's it's epic and, and damn good cinema. So yeah, this is a must watch. Great action scenes, good drama, awesome road trip film that deserves to be seen. And it's still great today. It's one of the best female buddy road trip films ever made. It's iconic and damn great. Somebody said get a life. And so they did. Thanks for watching Off The Shelf Reviews.